That is our topic today. I am Jesse HS. This is the Heart Guy Media Podcast. I am your host, and today, Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. Uh, very cool film. Love this film. Have loved it since I was a child. Um, saw it in the mid-90s, maybe. Honestly, as soon as stuff started showing on like HBO, after it had gotten out of theaters, so this movie came out in 92, so, ninety late 93, uh, I probably saw it. 94, maybe. Uh, always been a fan. Obviously, huge Stephen King fan. Myself and uh, the people who are going to be on this episode today, uh, Mr. Lewis Smith and uh, Mr. Brian C. Tyler. Uh, they are uh, big fans as well. And there's so much to dive into with all King's work, but this is... A movie that was written strictly for the screen um, by Stephen King. So it wasn't based off a, a book. You know, it's not a film adaptation of one of his uh, novelizations. So this is uh, this is a unique outing for, for King and uh, directed by Mick Garris. Uh, a lot of familiar faces in this, too. It's going to be awesome to dive in. And we're going to do that right now. Here we are, Mr. Lewis Smith calling in via a uh, cellular device. Yeah, in all its fucking weird glory, I'm calling from a cell phone, so <laughs> I'll, I'll sound really good. 
and Brian C. Tyler here, Gas to the Gills. I'm here in the flesh. <laughs> he's got fucking two slices of pizza in him, and fucking he's got three-fourths of a fountain drink. He's good to go. I also ate some pretzels earlier. What kind? Snyder's a Hanover? Uts. Uts? Uts? <laughs> yeah. Dude, Uts Snyder's pretzels. is where it's at, man. Yeah, yeah. fuck it. Uts. Oh, kind of a deep cut, Brian. I like it. <laughs> All right, so Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, directed by Mick Garris. Now, there's there's so there's so much ground to cover with this because there, I feel like there's there's a million different things to to talk about. But I guess what we'll dive into first is when was the first time we saw Stephen King's Sleepwalkers? Lou, was it recently? Correct. Yeah, this was actually because you sent me yet another fucking killer gift box um that included sleepwalkers so yeah this was uh this is my first time seeing it and i'm actually really excited to kind of dive into it not from just like the fucking killer shit that's in the movie itself but just like some of the stephen king stuff that he draws in from other parts of the universe and everything that he's created so um yeah to answer the question it's been it was a recent watch for me and it's uh i mean this is this is the I mean, by all accounts, from what I can uh, recall, this is the only thing that he's written strictly for the screen, right? So I know he had his hand in, I want to say, both writing and directing for Maximum Overdrive. Did so he, I don't, wait, did he write that by himself? I don't know if he wrote that by himself. I, I feel like it it, the, yeah, the whole screenplay is fucking, it, it's so disjointed and it, it looks like, or comes across on the screen as somebody who just like abused coke for nine months and then wrote it <laughs> so i don't know but um but that's a good question i i don't know if he was the only one that had a hand in that part of me thinks it was because that was kind of one of his like big achievements where it's like i pretty much did everything yeah we um, just we just confirmed it was solely by him i knew he that he uh did the screenplay but i wasn't sure or i knew that he wrote like wrote it but i wasn't sure if he wrote like a a concept for it or anything, but it was based off a it was based off a novelization, right? Like an unpublished, yeah, an unpublished novel. And and I've seen, and I've seen shit too where they say that Sleepwalkers was an unpublished work, but it, I I think that was just uh, like fanfare, like people not knowing what the fuck they were talking about, and they were just like, oh, it was one of his unpublished. That's what it was. But it says you know expressly written for the screen by Stephen King, right, right, um. But yeah, Brian, first time you saw Sleepwalkers. I don't know. I was a fucking kid. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I remember the opening scene creeped me out. And it's funny, like, watching this movie now, imagining that it could have ever creeped it, me out. No. But the opening scene is well done. And you know what does it is that Enya song. The very I was gonna I was gonna Enya bring this song. up later, but you're fucking, you're cracking into all the fucking uh, glory holes right now. So we'll dive right in. Uh, but yeah, that Enya song is fucking hilarious. And you know what? It was probably a few years ago, probably like five or six years ago. And I was just like, what the fuck is that? And I was like, that sounds like a fucking Enya fucking ditty. And sure as shit, fucking, it was Enya. Enya had her hands all over the 90s. I never thought, I thought it, it fit the, I thought it fit the opening very well. It was very atmospheric and creepy. Now, Lou, you recognize the sheriff at the beginning of the film, right? 
Dude, could that push broom mustache get any larger on Mark Hamill's fucking face? Dude, that, that thing looks like it's got wings. It'd be flying around a light on the back porch at night. Like, holy shit, dude. I have so... My notes... I wrote so many notes for the opening scene, and they they are just Anya, Sheriff Luke Skywalker, fuck, dead cats. But, al- but also so the beginning, too... In the beginning, like, one thing I noticed immediately, too, just based on, like, the setting, like, Balboa Bay. So that's, like, the setting for both Puppet Master 1 and 2. It takes place at Balboa Bay, which I don't think it probably has anything. There's no, it's just coincidence, but I noticed it's, that, like, uh, immediately when it came up. It's Bodega Bay, right? Like, or, Bodega. Oh, oh, yeah, bo- and Bodega it, was, Bay. it was the setting bo- of the birds. So as well. I believe okay. in as both well. Puppet Masters and Sleepwalkers case it was probably a reference or yeah. is, is it a real place because i'm gonna feel stupid if it is i always assumed it was a fictional town i will say I, I don't know lou are you a twin peaks fan yeah absolutely now did the opening scene and maybe the enya track played into it a little bit but the whole opening scene you know uh save for the the dead cats the slaughtered dead cats that are just fucking hanging like that's super graphic that's to open most, the film most disturbing thing in the movie but did did this opening of this film kind of re- read twin peaksy to you yeah i mean you got you have an a really unexplained murder you know that they're walking into i mean aside from the cats which that was fucking like strange enough but then after the opening credits, it dives into this really weird sexual tension. I don't want to get too ha- too ahead of myself with this, but yeah, I definitely picked up on some some Twin Peaks stuff. Like yeah, cops, yeah, for you sure. Know, cops coming along, being like, "Whoa, we don't know what the fuck this is. This is weird as shit." Like instead of a girl covered in a tarp on a beach, it's like we're finding a chick with like a rose in her ear with braces on her teeth, looking super petrified, falling out of a goddamn closet. So yeah. I, De- definitely some weird ass shit going. Definitely twins, Twin Peaks. I don't know, Brian. Would you like agree with that? Is that too far off? I know you're. Kind I mean, of it's resident Twin Peaks guy. Yeah, let's hear it, Brian. Well, yes, and well, the music and Made Chin and Mick also, of course, you know, yeah. of well, course, yeah, yeah. also made me think of Twin Peaks. But actually, as I was putting in the DVD, I looked in the booklet, and there was a quote from either Mick Garris or Stephen King. And I forgot the exact quote, but they were basically saying they're like taking Norman Rockwell and turning that idea on its head, which is, you know, what David Lynch does in both Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks. Very much agreed. Uh, So, I mean, obviously that's a super graphic way, like they're diving right in. And uh, I wonder if the Mark Hamill thing, if he has some kind of connection with uh, Toby Hooper, because he appeared also in a segment in the anthology movie Body Bags, great, done by him and uh, John, obviously mainly John Carpenter, but uh, Hamill appears in one of the episodes, and uh, Toby Hooper helps uh, direct some of the segments in that. So I'm wondering, and this is a year prior to Body Bags coming out, so I wonder if there's a Hamill-Toby Hooper uh, relation that went on there. Well, there, there's definitely some relation between some of these characters that were cast and some of the other, like, I don't want to say Stephen King adaptations, but there was definitely, like, multiple characters that were, like, the the sheriff that was in there, the guy that actually, like, ended up, you know, the cop kebab, like, that yeah. guy, he was in the stand, yep. um, one of the other female sheriffs was in the stand, like, because I recognize him immediately, this is, like, the Gary Sinise 
the stand like or, yeah it was gary sinise was in that right yep the the like four hour like miniseries kind of deal oh yeah so th- there had to be something to that i w- i would guess right that can't there can't be like well, three dude. to four to five actors in one and also in the other if there's no fucking connection there i don't know maybe i'm fucking overthinking that but did mick garris do the stand correct yeah Oh, okay. he did? Okay. So, All right. yeah. And Cynthia Garris, she was the blonde policewoman. That's his yep. wife. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, Cynthia Garris. That's Mick Garris's uh, wife there. Oh, uh, yeah. another, okay. another connection between actors that has nothing to do with uh, Mick Garris is that the parents of Machen and Mick are the same parents of Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Oh, shit, you're right, dude. Yep. I recognize the dad. I recognize the dad, but I did not recognize the mom. The dad, you can't really... Those are so many, like, character faces and, and actors that, like, as soon as you see, like, you feel... There's so many faces in here that even if you don't know them by name, you're comfortable enough that you've seen them and shit, and you're just... It's automatically, like... It helps sell the movie very easily for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. So what about you, Jesse? When's the first time you saw this? Uh, young. Like, uh, I'd have to say, whenever, like, whenever either one, movies were able to rent after they had had their theatrical run, or they had made their way onto, like, an HBO or Cinemax, that I can't, like, express. And, like, the 90s were huge for me for discovering movies. Obviously, born in 88, like... The, the era of the VHS was, you know, in those early to mid-90s. And that's when I truly, like, started watching all these films and, and, and you know, fell in love with horror in general. And, and movies in general. But um, it's definitely, you know, I credit my parents for shelling out the extra uh, rubles for Cinemax, Showtime, and HBO. I literally can't... I There was not a time growing up in that house where we didn't have... Uh, Cinemax, Showtime, and HBO. And as soon as fucking stars came on the radar, we had fucking stars. I don't know what it was, but my parents were huge, like, uh, movie people for some reason. Like, and that was, like, the main source of not only my entertainment, but family entertainment was, you know, new films. And, you know, and, and uh, instead of going to the movies a lot as a kid, which I, I honestly didn't until I was probably about 12 years old, I started really going to the movies. I'd only been, a, a, like, two or three times prior to being 12 years old. So, you know, my movie experiences weren't in taking place growing up in theaters. They were 100%, uh, you know, at home, late at night, watching HBO and Showtime and Cinemax and catching these movies. Uh, I mean, even in the, the fucking middle of the day in the summertime, and I can't remember the exact first time I saw Sleepwalkers, but, I mean, Stephen King's name just... Through his, obviously, before I was, like, able to fucking pick up, like, books, I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive into fucking It at fucking eight years old. Like, no. <laughs> like, no fucking kid's idea of, like, entertainment is reading at eight years old. I mean, I mean, you start, but, like, you're, I mean, you're not picking up a fucking, a huge book like It or anything like that, but the Stephen King name was attached to all these movies at such a young age for me, and then immediately I knew what steve and you know being young and being like watching these movies and you know having having uh satch be like that's stephen king right there that's the guy uh it automatically like ingrained him in my psyche for you know film and 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 everything so can't think of a time where i didn't know who stephen king was that's how like impressionable his works uh and film adaptations have been 
on me. So it was at a super young age, and I was a huge fan growing up. And uh, it been a, it had been about two and a half years since I'd seen this, and uh, and I, I obviously have owned it uh, for a long time. But kicking it back on it uh, and taking kind of notes for it, I noticed how much I actually knew and how many lines I still know and like how memorable it really is and it, it really is like kind of fucking uh, a, a great film and I feel like it doesn't get kind of the love it kind of deserves yeah dude I would fucking second that I mean for like I said for me it's like you were the reason the sole reason that I watched this I knew I was going to get around to it immediately because you know anytime I'm in whether it's FYE or whatever and you get to those sections where it's like Stephen King or they, they'll kind of lump a lot of that stuff together. Um, I've always seen it. I just, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, it's like I always like to at least maybe read the short story, maybe read the book, and then kind of watch it from there because I just have such a love for his novels. So like I, I really love to, to see what they took from, from it, what they, they the writers and, and stuff injected it into themselves. Uh, or from themselves, so it was cool to sit down and watch this, not really having any sort of idea other than the fact that his name was on it. Kind of similar to the way that you would watch it as a kid, right? Where it's like Thatch is like, yeah, you know, this is the fucking guy. This is the shit right here. You need to watch this. You're gonna love it. You know, kind of thing. Right. So that's I don't know. That's it's just cool that I I don't know. I guess I I also had that type of an experience with it as well. Now I want to see if you two picked up on this. I think I may have found a Stand by Me reference in this film, and it's when Brian Krause, which we're gonna talk a little bit more about Brian Krause. Guy, I feel like the guy, it's, it's a shame the guy didn't turn into, like, a Brad Pitt-type star because he's a fucking a male blonde bombshell, like, killer fucking actor. Um, but did you notice when he was looking at the, and you know, after the opening scene and shit, and we get to Brian Krause looking through the yearbook, he fucking gets his eyes on Mitch and a Mick. I mean, you can't blame the guy. And also, he carves a T into his arm with a knife. Do you remember the knife, the, the tattoo, uh, you know, that, uh, that fucking, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kiefer Sutherland's, uh, gang, they were doing tattoos. And I don't know why, but that kind of like, maybe it was from King's era when he was a kid in the, in the fifties that they would always give themselves like handmade tattoos. When he carved his, like the T for Tanya in his arm, that just kind of, I thought that that might have been a tip of a cat, tip of the cap to stand by me like when they were sitting in the junkyard doing that but i wasn't sure maybe that was a stretch but that's immediately what i thought i can't say i mean that's either way you made the connection and that's what matters that's true they did mention (laughs) castle rock yeah they did but i I never noticed that yeah the sheriff did right yeah yeah and uh you know and then we get to the I mean, we got, this is fucking, this is some shit right here. The the mother and uh, Charles, they got a weird fucking Norman Bates relationship going on, right? Yeah, except she's not fucking dead. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that was, that was bizarre. I don't know. I say... It was like, oh, what, sorry, I'm, I'm fucking interrupting you. Go ahead, Brian. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, can. I was like watching it. I'm like sitting there. I'm like. This is really fucking heavy. Because, like, at first, it's like, oh, he goes out to the kitchen, and I 
couldn't, I figured it was his mom, I guess, you know, I, I, I kind of got that after a couple minutes, but then it was like, they kept leaning in really close. I'm like, wow, these, this is a really interesting white family, you know, like on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, obviously after he, you know, kicks off the shoes, runs upstairs and fucking plows his blood. Um, you know, after that point, it's like, okay, yeah, they're banging. And that, you know, and it kind of goes from there. But yeah, holy fucking intense. But I was, I was trying to think because I remember it freaked me out when I was a kid. I was like, that's fucking weird. Uh, like even eight years old, I was like, I feel a little funny right now. I gotta go outside and fucking play in the sandbox. Feel a little weird. <laughs> but, but do you think because it's never really? I and that's another thing I like about the film is they don't identify what they actually are. And if you look it up, it kind of says that they're like vampiric, shape shifting ghouls. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the quote at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, but it's uh. You know, it, could it be that he wasn't her, his birth mother? He, she was the, the person who changed him into that. If, if that was, you know, if you're running with a, a vampiric, uh, mythology here, could that, if that's the case, feel a little bit more comfortable what's going on upstairs of, uh, the Brady household there. Well, I'm sorry, Jesse, but it's definitely some incest shit going on. <laughs> Well, no, dude, you could be onto something. I mean, there. either way, I, I mean, it makes I for great think, filmmaking. I never questioned it. I just assumed King was still in his boozing years, mother too. and son. But when I was a kid, I had only seen out of Mick Garris's catalog, catalog, Psycho Four and Sleepwalkers. I mean, those were at least the only two that I knew were directed by Mick Garris. Right, right. So in my head, I'm like, this director has like mommy issues, and it's creepy. As he I, did do know, he did do riding the bullet too, which is a mother issue movie as well. So. Oh really? Well, as a kid, I didn't like realize like writer. You might be fucking smelling smelling out there. the snail on the trail there. Maybe, yeah, maybe. And it's very possible. So that's all. I, all I wanted to say earlier. It's very. Um, I've seen so much like Bates Motel, and I've seen this movie so many times yeah. that I'm just desensitized to incest. Yeah. If it's going to happen, it's, it's going to happen. It's, uh, and then, you know, one of the more memorable scenes in the movie, too, that we come up on after that oh. shit is... I'm sorry. Will you remember your thought? Yeah. Because mine's so random. Okay, this is another, like, random Twin Peaks connection. Is that they play that song, Sleepwalk, by Santo and Johnny that they dance to. Yeah, yeah. And it also plays in uh, one of the new episodes of Twin Peaks during the end credits in a scene with really? Nate and Mick. Really? That's yeah. got to be an homage to Sleepwalkers. Maybe. Uh, I, I don't believe in coincidences, especially in film. But one of the scenes that I always remembered as a kid, being a young lad, pre-boner days, Nate uh, and Mick dancing in the freaking movie theater. Awesome. And the only note that I made, because I made notes throughout this whole thing, and I just said, Mason and Mick dancing owns my existence. (laughs) She's so she's so she's a likable character too. She's she's, like she's not a like an she's not like one of those annoying characters that you just like are praying for death and a rape. (laughs) And a rape. Just slide that in there. And a rape. Obviously obviously a joke. Don't get fucking offended. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus Christ. If we I don't know. I see some pretty crash shit, and I've been listening to this podcast enough. It's, yeah, there's some crash shit. If you're easily offended, go and fucking drown or something, you know? Like, just relax. It's all jokes. But one thing, listen, he should have immediately, like, free popcorn she gives him, too. 
Fucking on the house. Free popcorn and drink on the house. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. What, a, what a way to woo. Talk about wooing. If you were going to woo someone such as ourselves, I mean, free fucking popcorn and a drink. Jesus Christ. I might follow you into the fucking worst movie ever made. <laughs> Which, one of the worst movies ever made is 2004's Catwoman. <laughs> and this is in my notes. Maybe the big bucket of popcorn, I'd do because that. Because the bizarre opening credits with all those like weird old photos of like shape-shifting human cats. I swear to God, the Catwoman with Halle Berry, the opening credits ripped off Sleepwalker's opening credits. You just had to find a way to get 2001's fucking Catwoman put in this goddamn podcast. Yeah, because I mention it in every podcast. I feel like you... You fly dog. You fly dog. You've talked about that movie more than anybody has ever talked about it. I don't think I've ever talked about it. I think you've talked about that movie more than the people that made the movie during the filming of the movie talked about that movie. Not on this podcast. No, not on this podcast. Let's talk about Glenn... What's that? So before before we get ahead of that, because like I do want to mention this, because I'm glad you got uh, before we get too far away from the weird ancestral shit. So (laughs) one thing playing off that point you were talking about, Jesse, is so what I was thinking about too, especially after that initial quote, is like so obviously in some in certain like realms of thought, kind of from dusk till dawn, but you have the idea of like a vampire like empress. Okay, so like I think you might be onto something where it might not be his her like kid or son, but more like, okay, yeah, I turned him and he's my protectorate. He gets me food, whatever. She's the empress or something along those lines, because from what I gathered, like in From Dust Till Dawn, um, the role of uh, what's her tits there was she came off as being like this, the 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 vampire empress there Selma Hayek right right it, that's what I got out of that I could be wrong because remember she gets like the crazy intro by Danny Trejo and his goddamn chest tattoos she comes out on the stage and it's like I kind of got that she's like kind of head bitch you know like she's bitch in charge yeah so, I think I think maybe. Uh... Yeah, maybe the whole mother son thing is just something for an extra pizzazz to the the old vampiric sex uh, throw in there. I never thought of them as as turning people. Like I figured they were they're just creatures that are born this way and like Lady Gaga, they were born this way. Yeah, like Lady <laughs> Gaga. And <laughs> I thought the only like vampire connection was We got we got a they cat woman off. We got Catwoman reference and Lady Gaga. We're doing fucking well, great Well, that was right you, now. yeah. I didn't talk Catwoman. Are we trying to one-up each other? Oh, well, let's wait. Let's see. Glenn Shaddix that plays the fucking, uh, the teacher. Oh my god, fucking, that dude would drive a white Volkswagen yeah. and like assault youngsters on the fucking highway holy he, shit fucking otho dude he, jesus christ he fucking plays the perfect dickhead too oh it's a, well did you know okay so from what i remember was his name mr phallus so that's like mr dick mr follows oh fuck all right never mind Maybe which i, I wonder if that's a reference to jerry follows the guy the 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 minister who was like really weird and fucking always called out larry flint and then found out that he was like had a weird relationship with his mother Oh shit! Maybe Jesus, this is... you might be onto a lot deep, of shit. Deep, going deep. <laughs> uh, but also, let's talk about the class where Charles is obviously reading 
Like, Brian Krause just fucking kills it. He's, like, super likable. He's got a million-dollar fucking smile. He looks like he probably, he'd fucking, he'd date rape somebody, but he's too nice. He just looks like, he, he looks like he should be an asshole, but he's super nice up until a point in this film. Yeah. Um, but can we talk about the jocks drawing of the homeland, homeland, the old cemetery that's been converted into a lover's lane type shit? And that jocks drawing that fucking Shaddock's fucking, that Mr. Follows fucking swats him for drawing. Listen, that was a fucking A-plus drawing. Dude, that would be in Mad Magazine. I was just like, oh my, what's this kid fucking throwing a pigskin around for? Can we get him in fucking Mrs. King's art class and fucking, can can we get this guy a fucking scholarship? I was just like, holy shit, that's a great drawing. I don't think I'd ever seen anything in that quality and that detail in high school when it came to like dirty shit outside of like, you know, literally seeing it in like a fucking penthouse or something. Seriously, this guy could have fucking storyboarded for the Lord of the Rings. And I thought that was uh, funny, but Glenn Shaddix has such an interesting, like, is he, like, gay? Is he just, like, super flamboyant? But, like, every, it's just his voice. He seems, like, super flamboyant in everything. I thought he was trying to blackmail Charles into, like, some gay shit. Yeah, what was up with that? Like, when Charles... that was weird. Well, like, uh, well, first, when the class ends, something I thought was funny, and I'm glad, like... I'm glad these little things pop up. Like when the one friend of uh, of Tanya, the the black girl, does the cock sucking like gesture. Yeah. I don't know why, but like I just kind of like gave myself like a nine year old like <laughs> like <laughs> like chuckle. I was just like, that's great. Like maybe I'm, I'm easily entertained, but I was just like, ha, ah, that's great. I miss that like that old school like i feel like when nowadays and lou we've talked about this and i think we we've talked about it in a in a group text uh situation where people are so desensitized now that like they can't enjoy like uh a comedy without it being like over the top raunchy oh yeah dude 100 agreed it's it's small shit like that and and i think what it does too is like that's more like that was shit that people were doing in high school and we were in high school. Exactly. Like that, that makes sense. And like, you know, that was, the, this took place not necessarily when we were in high school, but like, it's still fucking relatable. It's not so goddamn un, unheard of for like a random chick to be like, they're going out of over lane. Like that makes sense. That would fucking happen. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask, what do you think his fucking plan was? Pulling over a kid. Well, who stops when the fucking... Who stops if teachers trying to pull you over? Why would you fucking pull over? Like, that was my first thought. Like, if, if fucking, like, Mr. Bessel or fucking someone's just, like, following me and, like... I would, like, pull over. Like, why the fuck would he pull over for a teacher? But then again, at the same time, obviously, he's not human. So he's like, I'm gonna fuck this, this fat dude up. I'm gonna fuck his ass up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just... I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what his... What was his goal? Because well, Brian, you said it like, is, was he trying to blackmail him with some weird, like, random, like, gay shit? Or was, like... I never read def- too I- much into it when I was a kid, but, like, as an adult, I'm like, he definitely... Right before Charles ripped his hand off, his hand was going down. Well, he said something like, it's, all, it's always money with you, with you kids. And then he's just like, there's other means of, like, uh... So he said something, but like, yeah, he was definitely Other means he, of currency, right? Yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. was going to Dicktown. Oh yeah. shit! And that's I why even, his hand. He but was it about had to touch 
Charles. Yeah. And that's why Charles was able to rip his hand. And I think, like, the whole thing happened so fast that you don't even necessarily pick up on it right away. Because, honestly, I didn't until, like, years later. Like, yeah, I was just like, here. oh, shit. He's trying to go for that dick. Yeah. Grab him for that dick, getting your hand handed back to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like, all right, I feel like it's in movies all the time where, like, the professor or the teacher is being, like, inappropriate with, like, a female student. So the fact that... But with a male student, it just comes off more... Fucking rolling in the night. which is fucked up that I think that way, but I'm just... You see it with a female so much that... Rolling in the 90s in style. Getting that friggin'... Getting that, uh... Getting homos there. And I, when I say homos, I just yeah. mean non-hetero. But... I'm, I'm glad my people got some proper representation. <laughs> For once. Finally coming into the light, y'all are. But can we talk about how sick that the blue... One, the blue Trans Am is so sick, and that's a total late 80s, fucking early 90s, like, puss getter right there. Oh, uh, fuck yeah, dude. And one, I love... And I wonder if that's, like, a little bit of an homage to Christine. Like, turning from... I love the car morphing and disappearing and turning from a black or a blue Trans Am to the fucking red Mustang, I think that's like so sick, and that's such like a, a cool touch to the story too. Yeah, yeah, uh, dude. Well, that's something that I've I've noticed. I'm sure you guys have seen it too. It's like there is a, a really weird love affair that Stephen King has with vehicles. It doesn't matter if it's short stories. Obviously, Christine from Buick Eight. Like um, he's incorporated the idea of. Um, of vehicles and what they represent. If you get more into the Dark Tower series, there's groups of people called like uh, low men in yellow coats, and they drive around really flashy, like um, like Cadillacs and shit like that. And they're agents of the Crimson King, but they they have like almost a weird. It, it is a central piece that is something that those characters are recognized for. Um, in Needful Things, the strange futuristic car that. Um, fucking the shopkeeper drives around is something that like no one's ever seen. So I, I think there is something to that with Stephen King incorporating vehicles and into his stories. Like I said, whether they be not necessarily a focal point, but it's something that he spends time on. He'll describe it and he'll go into detail about it and they play a role of for some reason. So I, I dude, I think you're definitely onto something with that. There are no coincidences, coincidences, as you said, you know, I don't think so. Um, uh, and uh, something I thought was uh, interesting when Charles goes to now this is before he he, he almost gets his dick taken by Glenny Shads but um, when they go to uh, Machen's house she's like hiding her underwear and stuff and like they see that uh, his her mom does the gravestone rubbings yeah yeah and uh, like what mother does that like she's a dark bitch hashtag dark bitch. Hashtag dark bitch. I feel like I knew someone <laughs> whose mom did that. I'm not I don't. That's cool as shit. But that's all I wrote was dark bitch. Becky Ellison's so, mom. So she's she's got to be a homemaker, right? Oh yeah, yeah. She definitely she doesn't work, and uh, maybe she does. Who knows? We've <laughs> I've already ostr we've already ostracized uh, fucking any female listeners that we possibly have in, in this episode. Mothers well, it's like who, who has time to, to do that? that? Like. In the regular work day. I mean, you saw Numbnuts when he was there trying it himself. He got, like, 
a fucking 16th done in the time that she was snapping pictures. So if the mom does that full time, she's spending a fuckload of time at the fucking Lover's Lane goddamn cemetery, which maybe that's some sort of a side thing for she's going down there and banging because it is a Lover's Lane. So what she's quote unquote doing grave chalkings, she's getting plowed by Stephen King, the fucking gravekeeper, you know? Like, oh my God, that would have been a great I, twist. Right? I don't know. I just got off into the weeds on that. But that, there, there is something to say for, like, who has time to do something like that because that's definitely time-consuming. And those were big fucking – those are, I would say, larger gravestones or older or whatever, but it takes a lot of time. Yeah, seriously. One of the uh, – one of the I think the best character in the whole film is the police officer, Andy. Andy Simpson? Andy Simpson. Simpson and Clovis. Simpson and Clovis. I wish they got like a spinoff TV show. Like, <laughs> just the two of them. Like It should have been that instead of fucking, what was the one? What was the Turner and Hooch? Turner yeah. And Hooch, it should have been them. But, I fucking love Simpson and I love Clovis. Well, one, this guy is like the most like animated cop of all time. Yes. Like, like he's just playing with fucking Clovis the cat. Get the bad guy. Get the bad <laughs> Get that motherfucker. Like... <laughs> He's fucking, like, having a blast. So, fucking... He, he doesn't have the radio on, either. He's making his own music yeah. multiple times. Multiple times, he's just making up shit on the fly. Yeah, what so, is it? Johnny was a one-pecker man with his balls in his hand, and fucking, oh he's off to the rodeo? <laughs> yeah, yes. Dude, endless supply of entertainment. He's never bored. He's like, I got a cat in my car. I'm gonna make fucking music. I got a, I got a koosh ball. A yeah. ball that I'm just, you know, like, what the fuck? I bet you that motherfucker had a set of pogs in his fucking dashboard, too. Like, <laughs> he's had fucking pogs. Fucking, if he would have lived a few more years, he would have fucking Tamagotchi. Oh, my God. But something that was really sick throughout the... Well, once we, you know, we get up to the introduction of uh, Andy and stuff, is the chasing. The, the car chasing is so fucking sick. I know, yeah, that's what I really noticed. This movie really has it all. It has sex appeal with fucking Matron of Mick and Brian Krause, two fucking hot, bomb-ass fucking actor and actresses. You love Brian Krause. He's the fucking, I'm talking more about Brian Krause than I have Matron of Mick. Um, you got a fucking car chase scene. You got fucking dead bodies. You got Mark fucking Hamill. You got slaughtered cats. You got fucking Glenn Shaddix trying to grab some goddamn blonde dick. Like, this movie fucking literally has it all. Not to mention just the, the constant stream of, like, one-liners and shit. Oh, my like God, that, yeah. That, that was something that, like, I noticed more towards, like, the middle of the movie when things really kind of started picking up um, in terms of, like, where it was going. Like, just especially your homeboy there, dude. He busted out some ridiculous fucking lines a- a- after the attack scene. In especially where where they were there, like taking pictures and stuff, and he fucking kind of morphs and he's trying to suck her life force or, or whatever feed more or less. He just he just ripped out some crazy ass fucking one liners, and then the mom did it too. Like, oh my, I, we'll get to that. I don't want to fucking get ahead of yeah we'll get get ahead of myself. But anyway, continue. Something I I did love too. Like one, the chase scene is just so sick. We've talked about that that a little. But like the CGI, this is early to, early nineties too, and the CGI is pretty legit, I think. Dude, how about that shape, that face shifting scene when when he looks over and he was like a kid, and then he was like the the ghoul, and then like the the vampiric version of the ghoul, and then the fucking weird like 
looked like literally like one of the like fucked up strippers from that was from Dustal in from Dustal Dawn at the end scene when fucking Cheech is like, "Hello, I'm looking for my friend Seth." Like, like it was totally like it was fucking great, and you're talking like '92, so that that shit looked good for '92, and we'll talk about the practical effects because the practical effects looked fucking great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, it was, you know, you got Andy trying to explain to the sheriff and fucking Horace, um, (laughs) he's trying to explain to him what happened or whatever. And I love, I had to mark it down. Sheriff (laughs) goes, Horace, shut your pie hole. (laughs) Whenever I hear pie hole, it always makes me, uh, makes me laugh. But when they're in the, when they're in the scene, uh, when they get to, uh, the lover's lane, the fucking, the homeland, um, when, uh, Brian Krause is like, when Charles Brady's like, oh yeah, your mom's gonna want to know we did some rubbing out here. And she fucking says, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. That's the real yeah. me too movement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian Krause. Hashtag Brian Krause. Hashtag me too. Seriously. The Brian Krause me too moment. <laughs> Dude, I... When I was looking at him, as soon as he came on to, to fucking onto the screen, like the first time you see him in all his goddamn blonde glory, did he not fucking remind you of like Heath Ledger just like a little bit? Oh yeah, I could definitely see that. I, I, I don't know. It's just like I kept every time, and, and I think it was more of when he was doing a smile. He's got that like, ten it, things I hate about you smile for sure. I, see, I was gonna say like Knight's Tale, but like still, <laughs> yes, that same like fucking time frame or whatever. Absolutely. Do you think group. Heath Ledger robbed Ryan Cross of a career? I think you're again I no coincidences. Um, he might robbed, be a few years older. I think he robbed himself of a career when he signed a contract on Charmed. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Were you a fan of Charmed, Brian? You seem like that would um, be your jam. I like watched it once in a while when I was a kid, and then. I you know I'm not Did you into get... football so every <laughs> every night um when there was a Super Bowl every they, night they yeah every, every night, night that there was a Super year. Bowl <laughs> during was... the Super Bowl during the annual Super Bowl it was a charmed marathon yes so I'd I'd stay home and watch that you and about fourteen hundred other people in the United States aren't watching the Super Bowl you're like yeah fucking well. Our ratings are low, but guess what? We actually got a few people watching this Charmed Marathon on so, TNT. So yeah, and then I realized the show. I realized as I grew older was terrible. And then, <laughs> how did you even find it? Was it like waiting for fucking the re- Buffy reruns? Yeah, it was like on. Um, I watch WB all the time. I watch Buffy, um, Dawson's Creek. You love that frog. Charmed came on. And, yeah, and then I watched the entire series on Netflix just to, like, watch it, and it gets progressively worse, and Brian Krause is in every season. Is he really? Yeah. That's what he was doing all them years. I was wondering what yeah. the fuck happened to him. Yeah, and then the only other things I've seen him in are, like, Cabin by the Lake 2 and Cyrus. And Cyrus, yeah. Cyrus was a good one, though. I like that one. Was Cabin by the Lake 2 bad? Was that the was the first one was with Judd Nelson, right? Yeah. Wait, he was in the second one though too. Both of those are good sci-fi movies, right? Or no, they were USA originals. Why are you pointing in my face? Because I wanted to fucking let you know. All right. 
So yeah, that's Brian Cross's career in a nutshell. But how, you know, this is finally when we see Charles Brady turn into, you know, his ghoulic fucking figure uh, yeah. in Homeland. And he almost, is it weird that they're fucking petrified a cast and they're fucking slaughtering them and they got every goddamn uh, Jimmy Choo fucking line of fucking bear traps from fucking Silver Bullet fucking let it let out outside their yard. <laughs> And like, what the fuck's going on there? Like, they hate cats, but why do they have the like the fucking the cleft lip like a fucking cat? Like the fucking, you know what I mean? Like they look a little bit like cats. So why the fuck do they hate cats? Because like how in Jason Goes Dell, only a Voorhees can kill a Voorhees. Only a cat can kill a shape shifting shape shifting cat like. Oh, they seemed cat like. To me. Dude, I, they are cat like it says that it makes note of that so, i got like that vibe so you, you remember in like the beginning intro that was apparently you know also in you know 2004's catwoman or 2005's catwoman how yeah. they kept showing they kept showing all of the random like it started off if i remember correctly it showed like the egyptian goddess the cat goddess which is like oh yeah yeah, or something. yeah so that was the closest thing gotcha. that I could I could place it to. So I, I could be fucking wrong about that. I don't know. But like that in my mind, I was like, I guess they kind of look like that a little bit. He's still wearing like a fucking weird polo from Ames, but, or, you know, button up from Ames. But, he, you know, that that was what I got. And then when they shift again, they almost dude. I don't know if you, you had picked up on this or maybe I'm just insane because I fucking love the movie. But like. When you see the the incestuous mom, fucking vampiric ghoul empress, did she not kind of remind you of that weird rat creature from from Dust Till Dawn that's on screen for about four seconds? Oh yeah, definitely, one hundred percent. I don't know. I just like I got that kind of like ah shit, like that's frighteningly similar. But anyway, um, yeah, that was the closest thing, the Egyptian goddess, to what I was kind of equivalent, like human human body. But with like the head of like a kind of a like you said a cleft palated fucking cat, you know, right. not made fun of by all the other normal cats because it has a cleft palate and looks like it's always grinning at you weird all the time and drooling and shit, you know. Now, what lost me a little bit was uh, like Charles didn't want to like claim uh, Tanya. He's like, ah, oh, does it really have to be her? Does it really have to be her? And then like all of a sudden, like he's like, all right. It's I'm I'm game for this and like he just flips the switch at Homeland and he's like all four taking her down. That's why that's I said that to you earlier. Yeah, like, I thought the, the same thing. Is like a sort of a romantic horror movie thing, kind of like Bram Stoker's Dracula, or it's weird comparing Sleepwalkers to that, or like Phantom of the Opera, and then suddenly it turns into like he's Freddy Krueger and trying to kill her, and right. there's all these crazy one-liners and you know what as an adult i just learned to accept that and love that the movie plays out like that so the guy that did the creature suit i just want to touch on this the guy that did specifically did the creature suit his name is tom hester and he doesn't have a lot of special effects or makeup uh effects like credits but this is what he's credited as so he must have like been had a hook in with Landis because he did American Werewolf in London with Landis. 
Michael Jackson's Thriller video with Landis. He also was uncredited in the special effects makeup department for Videodrome. He did. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, John Carpenter's Starman and Sleepwalkers. And then he did like a couple of real no name fucking movies after that. But that was the guy that did the creature suits, so we can thank him for that. But Tony Gardner did. like was the had the the lead uh, for the makeup department and Tony Gardner's done like he's done literally like anything you could think of like he was one of the guys that that worked outside of the like KMB stuff but at the same time like he had done he worked on the thriller video I think Landis had like a whole set of guys that were like cutting their teeth but like he was uncredited in uh, Tony Gardner was uncredited in Aliens he did uh, corpse makeup for uh, Return of the Living Dead uh, he was uncredited in Lost Boys. I think something he designed they actually didn't use in Lost Boys, but he did uh, the Blob, and he's done like Nightbreed and fucking the and Darkman, and he's done like fucking a million different fucking movies. And on top of the Sleepwalkers, um, which he like uh, was the head, uh, the the lead uh, project supervisor type deal. So Damn, they, so he's got some fucking, he's swinging big dick. He's been part of some legit fucking, like, outfits and stuff. Oh, That's yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah. So it's, you got top-of-the-line guys here doing this shit, for sure. But, uh, you know, he's trying to fucking tear her ass up in the, the grave, in the graveyard. And then, uh, obviously... She's, uh, which I do love the, like, little, like, the weird energy, soul-sucking shit. Like, obviously... When uh, Mother and Brady are friggin' screwing upstairs, too, you get, the, like, the purple little, like, glow and shit like that. And that same thing coming out of uh, Machen's mouth when he's sucking it out of her. Um, uh, which I, I wonder if that is, like, a Mick Garris uh, thing as well. Just because there was the soul sucking, uh, sucking the life out of, like, the children in Salem and Hocus Pocus, too. Oh, shit. Oh. And Mick... I, for, I always forget that he had anything to do with that movie. Yeah, he wrote it. Uh, so, I wonder if that was... He took some inspiration from Sleepwalkers, which he directed. Yeah. As, as you said, there's no coincidences, you know? It's, it's his fucking thing. He's, and it keeps along that same fucking line of just, like, ener- quote-unquote fucking energy. Right. Zapping energy and shit. Like, yeah. Because if not, then it's like you... I don't know if there's no way to visually represent it. It's just like doesn't make sense. I gotta I gotta put something on screen to make make the audiences know like oh yeah, energy or the soul or whatever the fuck it is is literally being they're vampires at the end of the day. Yeah, you know like it, they're stealing a life force to fucking put it into themselves to keep themselves fucking alive. Exactly. I don't know that that's fucking awesome, dude. So. uh yeah, and then you got Andy trying to come to the rescue and save uh, Old Machen. And this is something that was... A lot of the kills in this were memorable for me as a child. Like, the pencil in the ear, nothing was more, like, cringy in my... Like, cringy and, like, ooh, that fucking hurt. Uh, I loved that, that uh, you know, attempted a kill. But obviously, as soon as he stuck him in the ear with the pencil, the classic, which I think is the line of the movie, they should have put it on the poster, <laughs> Cop Kebab. Cop kebab. Dude, can I tell you that there, that one jump scare where he comes behind, like, the sheriff, you don't you don't really see him with the pencil yet, but you see him move out behind him when she's in the car, like, when you get out of here, he's coming. That, 
that got me. Yeah. I fucking jumped a little bit because I'd never seen it before. That was the only thing in the movie that made me like fucking like, holy shit. Because I knew, like, I knew something was going to fucking happen. And then obviously he stabs in the, him in the ear with a fucking pencil, which I didn't see that coming. And then he screams in his fucking bleeding ear number by the number two fucking or number five fucking <laughs> shading pencil cop kebab at the top of his lungs. Like, holy shit. That was awesome. I know. And it's, uh, and then, uh, you know, Clovis comes and saves the day. Clovis tears his ass up. Yeah. Fucks the shit right up, dude. It wasn't just like a cat jumping on you and tearing your ass up a little. Clovis meant fucking business. He was coming for that ass. Oh. And, and uh, I loved that scene. And, like, his face is fucking smoking and going it. And that is, this is kind of, I mean, which is something we don't really, uh, we don't really uh, address really. Uh, this is kind of the end of the Charles Brady character. Like yeah, really he's pretty is. much rendered like fucked like after this point. And then it's mm-hmm. it's it's mom mom's uh, turn to really turn up the heat. Yeah. Can I just talk about how awesome it is that the cats are the heroes in this movie? Please do. I can only think of three movies where cats are heroes. This Hocus Pocus. Oh, four. <laughs> this Hocus Pocus, Cat's Eye, and 2004's Catwoman. Oh my fucking Christ. And, and anyway, I just, I think cats are awesome, and it's really great to see them Showcase. get their due. Yeah. <laughs> the gays and cats really get their just, just, uh, <laughs> they get really represented in this film. What do yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> Cruising right into the '90s in style, you know. Oh, yeah. It's just. But, well, anyway. Yeah. So I see you keep forgetting about Hocus Pocus. I'm glad I was uh, there to fucking. But obviously, Clovis goes and lays on Andy's uh, fallen chest because he, yeah, he doesn't even really... go out like crazy. Like he gets stabbed in the ear, but then he gets shot. Like what a pussy move! Why don't you just tear him apart with your hands? Come on, Charles. He was better than that. But then, of course, we get Stephen King, the caretaker. Yeah, Dude, this is like one was, of the greatest scenes in horror history. Oh, yeah, really. Dude, he was so fucking coked out, he could not even open his eyes. Oh, yeah. Did you notice that? And, and, and I know at this point, like, okay, so late 80s, early 90s, it's like, I don't know what he was abusing at that point, probably a little bit of everything, but like... Just seeing him waltz, like, I, I knew it was him um, fucking immediately because he's an ugly motherfucker and you can't really mistake him for anybody else. But, like, seeing him like that, I was like, holy shit, dude. Like, it was awesome, but it was like, you gonna be okay, Steve? You alright? You sleeping at all? <laughs> like, it, like, Jesus Christ, man. It was awesome, though. I love how each time he gets redirected to somebody, he asks, or he says the same exact statement. With the same exact intonation, like what yeah. he gets, he gets pointed to two different people or something. Yeah, which he, um, he, here here's a, a little tidbit in case you didn't know, the first guy he goes to and asks, he's like, "How oh, these fucking kids get all hopped up and on their Castle Rock cocktails?" And, and guess what? Oh, the, shit. Is to- the first guy that he talks to is Toby Hooper. Oh shit! And then the next guy he's sent to is Clive Barker, creator God of Hellraiser. Damn it. God damn it. Fuck. 
I knew I I knew I'd recognize that fucking the second guy. Just like it's one of those things where it's just like in passing, and I'm so focused on like right. Stephen King and seeing if he's if he's gonna blink at all or open his eyes at all. Yeah. So that, don't be too hard on yourself, Lou. But yeah, that's, uh, I mean, right there, like obviously an homage and, and, uh, I know I talked to you guys a little bit about Masters of Horror. Um, I just kind of, uh, stumbled upon the, uh, mausoleum box set, which was hard to find for years, but Mick Garris organized, um, a thing before the show called the Masters of Horror Dinner. And he would get all these people, all these di- directors who were friends to come over and have dinner at his house. You know, John Landis, um... Uh, John Carpenter and, and and Lucky McGee, like a million different horror directors that you could possibly think of. Toby Hooper, all these guys, uh, and they did the the show. They went on to do the show where a horror director directed one episode each of like a Tales from the Crypt type uh, TV show that aired uh, first in two thousand five and then a second season in two thousand six, but. He was already Mick Garris was already like the 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 granddad wizard of like gathering the horror community, even before the Masters of Horror dinners. Um, you know, you see it in here. You get Clyde Barker, you get Tobe Hooper. Uh, it's uh, and someone will get that reference where I just called Toby Hooper Tobe Hooper because in The Sopranos, Christopher Maltesante calls Toby Hooper Tobe Hooper. He refers to him as Tobe Hooper. That's what I used to. That's how I used to think it was pronounced when I was really like, when I was a child, <laughs> and I was like looking at the back of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre box. Well, Eric and I always get a kick out of Christopher Maltesante from The Sopranos saying Tobe Hooper. Uh, I'm so glad I finally got that off my chest. There you go. You feel a lot better now. You're vindicated. Yep. <laughs> Tobe. I oh. thought they thought that was just your little nickname for him. No, no. Okay. I mean, I'm on fucking drink Dr Pepper with him. <laughs> but uh. But yeah, so... And and then at the end of the scene, this isn't a cameo, probably. It's just like, the only role he could get at the time is Ted from Friday the 13th Part 2 as the cameraman. Yeah, yeah, he's like trying to take pictures of Machen after the attack. That was really harsh what I just said about him. I love that guy, but obviously he's not like a horror icon. If he charges more than 20 bucks at a convention, I'm fucking have words with him. (laughs) But, uh, But then you have like... Uh, Tanya's at home. She's trying to fucking take a bath. She's having fucking visions. She's of fucking... just trying to get clean. Yeah, she's trying to pull a Nancy Thompson. Do you think that was a Nancy Thompson uh, from Nightmare on Elm Street reference? Her laying in the tub. Yes, and I also I also think she just feels uh. What? <laughs> Never mind. What? <laughs> Once I start stuttering, the sentence isn't meant to be said. <laughs> but also Horace. The, the fucking, the guy that gets stabbed in the back with a fucking, with a <laughs> cord of the cop. Which may be the one of the best deaths that. ever, is getting stabbed That's in the back with cord of the cop. Right up there with the basketball deaths from Deadly Friends. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's fucking hysterical. Well, one, I love that when he's just like, did you notify her parents that she, there wasn't a level one assault? He's just like, what, that she wasn't raped by this psycho Horace? Yes, they know that. Like... <laughs> Why are all cops in small towns sound southern movies? They sound southern and they're all just could literally be from Canada. They'd be like, yes. Well, dude, here's what's weird about that though, because before that, 
you actually end up seeing Ron Perlman's character. Yeah. So, dude, there is something to small town cops sounding southern, and then the state troopers being like fucking gorilla goons, like <laughs> yeah. just these just bull headed fucking like we're just gonna go in there guns blazing fucking like leatherneck motherfuckers, and you got like the local PD like, well, I got well, maybe we should just walk in there slow, <laughs> you know, it's just it, shut your I, pie hole. <laughs> <laughs> No, but even in like Silver Bullet too, like. But honestly, yes. I've heard I've heard that some of those places in Maine might has might have because they have their own dialect in Maine too. Like you heard it, like uh, someone like the Judd Crandall character when Fred Gwynn uh, took that character on, he researched how that Maine accent was like really truly portrayed. Um, so they have that like weird twang. That That's isn't true. southern, but like obviously, but the same thing. Like fucking, if if you were watching Silver Bullet and they didn't say anything about Maine, you're like, this is in like fucking Alabama or something. Like, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny shit. What? Okay, we'll go do what you got to do, Brian. Jesus. Uh, but yeah, like, who do you think has bigger teeth, Ron Perlman or Gary Busey? Oh, you'd have to measure those up, man. There's no way. You can't eyeball those things. They'll fucking, like, fly out at you. Like, holy shit. If we were going to do a live-action movie adaptation of the Angry Beavers, I think Rod Perlman and Gary Busey would be the fucking two guys. <laughs> Yo, without, without a fucking doubt. Like, how do they... How, do you think when they sleep, their, like, lips fold up and, like, to the top of their gums? I don't even know. There's no rest. That's not resting. Like, you don't rest with your mouth closed with those chompers in there. Like, it's got to be fucking impossible. Or they just got big-ass, like, upper lips, right? I don't know. Fucking, that's that's a good goddamn question. We need to get the measuring tape out for that, dude. I mean, you're talking talking about a fucking... They better have a stipend for toothpaste in their fucking contracts, like... (laughs) Because goddamn, like between between Ron Perlman and Gary Busey, I'm gonna say you know what Busey has huge chomps, but I think Ron Perlman might have him beat. I think you're probably fucking right, dude. Because I feel like I see Ron Perlman and I literally don't see anything but like his fucking like brow, the brow of his face and like teeth. I see nothing else. Uh, It's just like every time every time he's on screen, it's like he'll. Whether it doesn't matter if it's fucking drive, it doesn't matter if it's fucking aliens. What is it? He was in Aliens Four, right? Resurrection. Yeah, yeah, resurrection. Dude, yeah. Anytime he's on screen, it's just like I just can. He, I have this inner monologue that's just like I just picture the biggest fucking like ogre goon motherfucker, like <laughs> like I, I don't know. He's a great actor, but it's just like oh yeah, he's he, phenomenal, he, but he's missing a fucking chromosome. <laughs> fucking link is on screen multiple times throughout the 80s and 90s and fucking now even fucking sons of anarchy and shit you know making chromosome makes his biggest fucking achievement you know seriously the fucking the 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 secret to fucking eternal life is in the fucking the roots of the incisors around perlman's mouth (laughs) (laughs) uh but when they're developing the film uh for charles is from uh machen's camera to see Charles' picture and shit, the people investigating the photos or the the photo fucking peeps or whatever you want to call them, the female officer is uh, Garris's wife, Cynthia Garris. Yeah. Joe Dante of Gremlins and the Burbs fame. 
and John Landis, of course, of American Werewolf in London, uh, Animal House, Beverly Hills Cop 3. <laughs> um, but yeah, those, uh, again, more horror directors in the fray. Pulling everyone in, man. Oh, yeah. Bring, pulling out the stops. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and then obviously Brady's uh, Brady's mother, the Brady. Uh, I keep th- thinking his name's Brady for sometimes, but uh, Charles Brady's mother obviously shows up. She fucking gives Ferris Bueller's day off, fucking to the dad, fucking hits him in the fucking face with a goddamn rack of lamb or fucking what were they flowers? Oh yeah, shit, that all happened so fast. Oh yeah, she rolled in fucking. Yeah. Oh, going back to the beginning, she sounded weird when she was talking to Mitch and Mick for the first time. Yeah. In that fucking, like, well, nightgown. Well, she was just like, she just like her mannerisms. I don't know if it's the actor or, or what. She just sounded weird. And also at the very beginning when she was talking to Charles and she was talking about pumpkin, pumpkin pie. Like, I don't know. It was just weird. It made me feel weird the way she was talking. <laughs> I think to uh, Tanya, she was trying to be like, a charming mom, but it doesn't seem like she... She was based gets, in that turkey because she wanted to eat She her. doesn't really get around a lot of people. Like, Charles is the one who draws them in, so she doesn't That's realize true. how fucking creepy she is. She'd have a easier time fucking eating Tanya if she had Ron Perlman's teeth, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but obviously she rolls into the fucking house and it's ass-kicking time. Fucking Horace gets the goddamn fucking... The green giant corn on the cob through the fucking back. Dude, what was that line? No vegetables, no dessert. Is that what you yeah, yeah. him after? Holy shit, that was awesome. I didn't get it because... Also, he why was... Hor- eat, he did eat vegetables. Yeah, he was. He had a whole bunch of corn on the cob fucking he was eating. She doesn't know that, though. And why she is, just assumed. Why are cops so gluttonous? Our cops, well, because, our, like that cop was fucking famished. Well, he, they do say he does say his wife died. So yeah, he, I haven't eaten as well since my wife died. I made a yeah. fucking note of that, and I was like, oh man, that's sad. That's explained. What, do you, what does that mean? You eating fucking hungry man? Yeah. On fucking TV? Like what? What does that mean? What does that mean? Seriously, he's fucking. He's getting those fucking two for fucking Swan's man's fucking uh, deals going. <laughs> oh, the Swan man. <laughs> Do you notice that it's called isn't is it called Schwans or is it called Swans? Because Schwan. they're it's Schwan. it is it is Schwan, but their logo is a swan. Swan, yeah. I like what they did there. Yeah. Clever, clever. <laughs> points, points. Uh so yeah, she fucking rolls in, just dragging Mach and a mech out by the fucking <laughs> <laughs> out by the hair, Ron Perlman shows up ready to bite that ass. He's like, let her go. <laughs> and uh, what she? How she? How does she kill him? She breaks his fucking Dude, arm and bites, hits him with he it. Bites his fucking pinky. His yeah. fucking. What well, doesn't? She yeah, yeah. She bites like his, his fingers off. That's but right. Doesn't yeah. she knock him in the fucking head with his own arm? Yeah, his own broken arm. Holy shit, that was brutal as fuck. Talk about irony. Ron Perlman got fucking his hand bit (laughs) fucking off. Like, someone bit Ron Perlman. After the cemetery scene, this movie's just, like, really nonstop. Especially by the point we're talking about right now. Yeah. It's just insane. It has a nice flow, too. One, it doesn't seem like you're waiting for anything to happen. There's constantly some development happening. Mm -hmm. And it goes pretty fast, but at the same time, like... This is one of those films that I never like, and I know we all like, we all can, 
you know, be clock watchers and be like, oh, how much more is left of this? Eh, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It flows so easy and nice that I never think that when I watch something like this, especially this movie. Yeah. Yep. It has, like, just a real nice flow to it. Um, it was, like, short, right? Like, eh, I think it's only, like, like, a little... Dude, like, I think it was just an hour and a half, like... That's so rare these days. I, I know. Really Everything, because they can't just get to the point nowadays. There's got to be fucking insane amounts of dialogue. Uh-huh. But, yeah, it's, uh... And then, obviously, the big showdown scene. Um, and like I said, the all the... All, and something we didn't touch on was I did like when Charles was laying on the couch like expressing you know how fucking how much pain he was in and stuff and and how like awesome the makeup looked when he was like you know had his uh, Clovis battle scars laying on the couch oh yeah yeah the make his makeup is amazing yeah it really is and then there's she brings so she brings Tanya back to the house yeah and there's all these cats outside and fucking the mom is terrified and Tanya's just like Jesus or what was her reaction? I feel like it was, like, not something I would say if I was being, like, kidnapped and brought back to this house. I can't remember. I don't know, but I was just thinking I would, I mean, the, the, here's what I would want to do is just roll out of the car and run into the middle of that field of cats. Seriously, do, do you think with all that cat, all them cats, though, on the front lawn, like, does that house just, like, does it have a strong stench of cat piss, like, just in that whole general vicinity? Dude, it's got a fucking stink. And that's probably what Machen was actually reacting to. Not the cats themselves, but the stink. (laughs) I'm sure. I I will say that her reactions, there was a couple times that, like, I don't want to say it was, like, laugh out loud funny, but, like, do you remember when the sheriff runs outside and gets impaled on the fucking fence post? (laughs) McAdam's reaction is, Sheriff? It's like, he's fucking dead. Why are you yelling his name? Like, I also, him up over her head. That reminds me of another scene where I left, and that's when Glenn Shaddix had his hand ripped off, and like Brian Cross morphed, and he's being chased through the woods, and then he stops to be like, I- I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just got your hand ripped off. I think sorry's fucking done. <laughs> We're past that now. Yeah. If, if only sec- every sexual assailant fucking. <laughs> do you think that you think he was actually sorry he was just sorry he got his hand ripped off but i feel like if you got your hand ripped off when you went to go grab the crotch of somebody i think the words i'm sorry actually might mean something Maybe. yeah that's, I that's mean... true i mean he got this hand back and if you notice the hand had like a, a fucking like a turquoise ring on it so like he did recover the ring and his hand so i mean he did get he did he got it back that's you know? true. That's yeah, true. very true. You can get that sit, that shit like sewed back on, right? I mean, your hand. I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, I'm sure. Listen, '92. I don't know if they would they were able to pull that off, or you get all your feeling back, and you could still freaking grab blonde dick like you used to. But I'll tell you right now, maybe in 2018, you could probably get a whole hand put back on, no problem. You know what? I feel like actually really stupid for asking that question. So <laughs> let's move on. Okay. Um, to the dance scene. Oh my god, that was like that. That was uh, disturbing, wasn't it? It was. And why yeah. does he look like he's four hundred and seventy years old? He's fucking got like 
He looks like Mr. Keefe, the fucking, the music teacher. Well, because now that he's been, like, wounded so badly, he's... He's all fucked up. He's all, he's just all <laughs> fucked up. Like, yeah. I think... So it, there, do you think there's, like, a reverse aging process that happens when the, they're, like, dying? There, I think so, because if you go back to something like, uh, like, uh, Coppola's, uh, also 1992 film, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula... Uh, you, you know, he gets grayer and grayer as he, like, starts, like, battling with them. I don't know if maybe that yeah. has something to do with it. I don't know. It's I've a, seen, I can't name them all, but I've seen, like, the reverse aging thing done with a lot of vampire movies when, yeah, when yeah. they get weakened. So, I, I'm guessing that that has, and it's so weird to, to refer to this as a vampire movie when you think about it, because yeah. it feels like its own, like... Well, to me, they're definitely their own creatures, but right, they're, right. like, a it, lot of similarities is, to vampires, and right. that is pointed out in the movie. Yeah, and it's and it's so weird to even, like I said, to even think about it as a as a vampire movie, which, like we said, they're their own creatures, but at the same yeah. time, like... Well, I mean, they're out in the daylight, like, crosses and sunlight don't hurt them, and they don't... I, I still think they don't turn people... They just are born this way and suck off each other. No, they suck, <laughs> they they suck, suck off, off each other. The life force of, of virgins, which you know, to vampires, they feed off life. This we've covered right. this, yes, yes. and virgin blood tastes a lot better, right? I mean, to I vampires, not in general, not in real it's life. Purity, right? It comes yeah, down purity. to purity. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, and you got a. I don't know why. I Old, just... uh, what was the mother's name again? Why do I always forget her name? Mary? Anyway. Mother Mary. M- Mary Brady. Mo- Mother Brady, obviously. Shit. Which... I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, but obviously it was kind of cool to see her in flames, too. Uh-huh. At yeah. the end. Uh, like I said, CGI, that might have been the only questionable CGI, but even that didn't look too bad, especially considering it's 1992. Now, if that was 2001, it was on the Sci-Fi Channel, I might have blasted it, but... Her name is Mary. Okay. Mother Mary. Mother Mary. So, I didn't even think to call anything in this movie CGI, but it is CGI. But to me, it's just... 90s effects yeah it doesn't it's just so different from it doesn't because when you say cgi i think especially when it comes to horror movies of any genre there's automatically you know a stigma attached to cgi and horror well it's so drastically different from even like late 90s cgi oh yeah and uh i think that's why you don't get monster movies like this anymore um is because of People that do want to do it and do the effects practical don't, they know it's not plausible for studios to be like, yep, let's do all practical effects. The studios don't want to because it's going to cost more time, more money, and it's going to look, I mean, the unfortunate thing is the practical effects are going to always look better. I mean, look at the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Look how amazing those Ninja Turtles look. As opposed to the newer movies where they're 110% CGI'd. It's so... It's such a different... And don't get me wrong. I enjoy the new Ninja Turtle movies for what they are. But you... It takes you out of the movie with that that level of CGI. 
Yeah, I gotta. I definitely agree with you. I don't know. There, there's something to be said for the aesthetic too. Like, I don't know, especially with with the turtles and shit. It's like, you know, you can sit there and watch it, and it's like, I know that there is a young man or woman in that giant suit basically dying performing this film versus, you know, someone who made it on, like, a fucking computer. Like, I don't know. It's just the, the look and the feel of it. There's just something to be said for that. And it sucks that it's not something that's really embraced anymore, but the I don't know. The sad thing is um, you see some really cool designs and you can't see it really come through on the screen because of the CGI. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I'll see, like, you know drawings of how it was originally conceived and it's like wow they had their heart in the right place when they were like creating this creature and then on screen it just looks like that yeah yeah so uh overall thoughts if you guys had to give it a rating out of 10 where would you throw sleepwalkers 10 10 10 out of 10 7 7 6 Six? I don't Six. know what you want, Jesse. Uh, don't I give me what I want. Tell me what you think. Uh, Lou, what, what, if you had to rate it, what would you give it? I probably, I was going to say the same thing as Brian. I'd probably go about seven, seven and a half out of ten. I like it. I will go eight, and that's, uh, it gets probably the extra half point for nostalgic purposes. Seven is my honest answer. Seven, seven and a half, eight. I and like seven it. is a good thing. Yeah, seven's not bad. So seven seventy seven's what seventy eight percentile. That's good. That's good shit. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with this movie, and I find more to appreciate about it when I watch it now. There's so, not a lot to critique in this movie, honestly. That's the like. Uh, that's the cool thing about it. Depends it depends on how like what you want to see out of a horror movie, really. That's true. Because if you want to see something like more, but I don't want the same thing every yeah, time. Well, neither do I. But some people. Um, I feel like with some... Some people don't like this kind of... It gets ridiculous. Some people don't like that level of absurdity in their horror right. movies. But I... I think it's well-rounded. Can appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. It's... And like I said, I think I think so many people try to tear these movies apart. These movies that... Um, and this made back double its money. I think it was... I think it was a $15 million budget, I think. And they made $30 million. So, I mean, I think it's supposed to be like... Uh, three times what the budget was um mm-hmm. for it to really consider be considered profitable but this made double its money back so it wasn't a complete failure slash bust but um i feel like it just doesn't get the respect and not that it doesn't get the respect i guess it but it isn't talked about as much no i i think you're onto something like Especially when you put it in line with some of the other, like, I, I guess if you want to call them Stephen King works, uh, whether they're direct adaptations from books or short stories or whatever, I don't know. I think you're, I think you're on to, to something with that in terms of it not really getting the recognition there. Because, like I said, even for me, it's like having read, like, you know, a lot of the books, having been doing so for, for so long since I was young, it's like this being a movie that, again, I, I, I knew it existed, but... I never really heard about it, you know? Yeah, whereas yeah. Like, whereas, like, sometimes they they come back. I watched that 
on like on like a fucking Sunday afternoon on like Sci-Fi or something when I was a kid or or something like that like TNT maybe I, I don't know whatever it was I watched it as a kid on TV whereas Sleepwalkers I probably could have caught it on TV but like I just had I hadn't heard of it I didn't hear anybody fucking talk about it or mention it or oh you like this you should check this out right know? right do you want to know what my dad thinks of this movie what's he think about it. Well, when I was like 13 or 14, I was sending out a money order because I want a VHS copy on eBay. Think about everything you just said. And, <laughs> and I was writing down, writing, you know, all my shit on the envelope to send. And my dad had to point out how bad my handwriting is. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's why I have bad handwriting. He's like, bad handwriting for a bad movie. <laughs> but I, sw- I swear I only saw this movie because my dad was watching it I think Chris Tyler with a fucking badass burn yeah dude alright so before we wrap up I just want to just really quickly give you like a really cool like piece of I guess like a little tidbit that Stephen King pulled from his universe and implemented in this movie yeah. So you remember when they're both laying on the couch and he does it when he's in the car and she says, make us dim, which is basically invisible. Yeah. So that is something that was implemented in the book um, Eyes of the Dragon, which it kind of has to do with the Dark Tower, but not really. It has characters that are in it. So, for example, um, the character Flag, who is also Randall Flagg from The Stand, Walter O'Dim, the man in black from The Dark Tower. He's kind of like a time-traveling or dimension-traveling like dark entity. He's an agent of the Crimson King. Anyway, in Eyes of the Dragon, he's the magician and like the, I guess, like the somebody who's like sits next to the king, his, his uh, fucking trusted whatever consultant or whatever. But he ha- he's a dark magician and he has the ability, they literally call it, he makes himself dim. And when I heard that on screen, I'm like, immediately, I'm like, that's fucking Stephen King right there. And that's exactly what he does in the book. And it's really interesting that, coincidentally, Randall Flagg, you know, Walter O'Dim, all these people, they have that ability. So it is kind of tied in with this ancient practice of more or less like, I guess you could say it's evil. It's kind of associated with evil characters. Um but that was something that, that showed its face in the movie. I thought that was really fucking cool. Just like, you know, having read the book and stuff like that, I was just like, all right, that's fucking awesome. I'm glad I get to see something that also appears in his universe of, of books as well. It's just a cool little nod. That's why I love doing all the Stephen King episodes with you, Lou, is because you're so well-versed in the in the, uh, the literary works um, that you can chime in and, you know, point out the all, all the relative... Uh, uh, point, theory points and everything within the within the King universe. So those that's why I like I just can't, I can't uh, feel like I can't do a, a Stephen King podcast without you because your knowledge point on uh, all the all the novelizations are fucking uh, integral to having these conversations and I love hearing them because there's a there's so much work of Kings that I haven't dived into yet uh, his literary work um, but that uh it's a uh, something i gotta get on for sure and uh hearing all these uh all this uh relativity within all the works it, it definitely uh pushes me that i need to uh dig in especially to the the dark tower which you uh grace me with so uh, i think i i gotta jump I, more and more I, I realize i gotta jump on that hell yeah brother bear it's there for you when you're ready man 
Hell yeah. Um, now, how well versed are you in before I before we uh, wrap this up? How well versed are you in Sometimes They Come Back? So I watched that, like I said, when I was a kid. I watched it again when I was in college, but that that's it. So I would I would need to like I, and I had been keeping an eye out for it at Fye and stuff like that. Um, well versed, I, I don't know if I could pull any direct references between either short stories or books. Um, I know that there is some tie-in with um, the idea because it was like former classmates that suffered a car accident, right? Yep. Okay, so. I'm trying to think of how that would play into some of these other works. I know that it does, it will have tie-ins. Like once I rewatch it, I'll be able to kind of pinpoint some direct shit. But right now on the fly, I, I, I can't fucking, I can't give you any like solid, like tangible shit. Um, I, I just need to rewatch it again. Cause I loved it when I saw it, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, that was another movie that I grew up with. And, uh, I think maybe one of the next Stephen King ones we do, uh, we might have to get your hands on a um, copy of Sometimes They Come Back so we can do that one because that one is a, it's still a real treat and that one's a, a lot of fun in a, in a, in, in a different way for his uh, film adaptations. Uh, that one's a good one. Fuck yeah. I'm, dude, I'm fucking 100% game. Awesome. Well, all right, man. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on and thanks for uh, doing Sleepwalkers and thanks for... Uh, Thanks for watching, uh, watching it and prepping for doing a little homework for uh, for this episode. Yeah, dude, not not at all. I'm I'm also very much looking forward to uh, to our Alien franchise attempt here with the three of us and potentially whatever other guests you want to bring on. So I, there's a lot to look forward to with this fucking podcast. I'm fucking stoked to be part of it, man. Me I can't too. thank you enough for for allowing me to come and jaw at you guys for a fucking hour hour fucking half it's awesome i love it oh of course we're uh we're were we still targeting november 10th for a uh, yeah. <laughs> for an yes, alien podcast yeah, yeah dude and, november 10th. and are we are we gonna do it in a, in a couple parts or try to do it in a couple parts or are we just gonna run through it in one i think it might be better to do it in a couple parts i agree yeah if we want to um do like the sigourney weaver part of the series what do you mean or do we just want to do the Sigourney Weaver part of this? Yeah, that's the that, well. The, here's the question: Do we want to? We want to do. What do we want to touch on here? Do we want to touch on the the re- initial four, or do we? Should we? How, that's the question how, I just asked. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I'm. I'm trying to break down is: Do we want to? Do we want to touch on the first? I don't know. Because I don't know how long we're going to spend on the first two. Because I feel like we could spend seven hours on the first two and then another fucking six hours on the so, third. Yeah. A four-part podcast. Or are we just talk about... Because I do... We got some plans. It's to important to, for me to talk about at least the first four. Yeah. it's uh, yeah, We, we yeah, got some planning yeah. to do. So we definitely got to hash out how we're yeah. actually going to do it. but We can do this privately. This is... Uh, yeah, sorry, this, this is all like these people don't have to hear We're, we're like teasing fucking this upcoming fucking podcast Battle Royale shit right now. So I, I'm sorry I even brought it up. I was just like... No, no. About it. <laughs> uh, we'll text about it. Yeah, we gotta, we'll, yeah. we'll hash out the deets for sure. But you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, did I say iTunes? It doesn't matter anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> iTunes or SoundCloud, uh, you can subscribe, uh, rate and review on 
iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can follow, stream, listen. Uh, give us uh, give us some feedback. Um, comment on Instagram at HeartGodMedia, um, at Twitter at Heart on Twitter at HeartGodMedia. Uh, let us know you're out there because uh, I don't know what it was. The '90s horror podcast has has seemed to be uh, quite the quite the little hit. Our uh, plays saw a substantial jump. Um, so this one, following with the '90s horror, uh, I hope people can enjoy the 1992 film classic, Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. This one was a a real fucking treat. So uh, if you guys are out there, let us know you're out there. Uh, this has been. Uh, this has been awesome and another episode of the Heart Guy Media Podcast. And uh, thank you for stopping by. <laughs>